Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Spawn Point. I've done a few of these. I feel like Jeff, you've, I feel like you, you were in one of these at one point. I think the one of the earliest ones. I think yes. Uh, when you maybe maybe it was a second round or something like that. But it was a while ago. Yes, I was on here, and I'm glad to be back. Yeah, we ran through one at one point, but I, I like to do these because it's a bit of a, a contrast to the spawn cast, which is like all over the place and a bunch of people at once sure. going. It's, it's a little slow down the pace a bit and have just the two people discussing a, a couple of things here. But it, it's good to have you, Jeff. How have you been doing? Doing good. Busy, really busy. Constantly. There's always stuff to be working on. Uh, I, I like it that way, but also, you know, it's like, oh, I... There's a million games I want to be playing, so I don't have time for all of those. I'm almost finished with the uh, uh, Tears of the Kingdom. I um, I'm 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 a hundred hours in. Uh, I've been doing all kinds of stuff in there, but I've been taking my time as well. I played without the HUD on for a very long time and really enjoyed that. But the Breath of the Wild was much more the like, oh, you could play a game without the HUD. Mm. Uh, this game, after a while, I'm like, I got to turn it back on. But I really enjoyed like the 50 or 60 hours I played without the HUD, where it's like I will just explore and stumble across all these things. And then later I'll discover the actual quest I was supposed to be doing related to those things. That was pretty cool. Right. Right. Yeah. That's I, I for a while there, I was wandering around and eventually I just said, I just, I got to finish this game. Like, yep. That's where it, it's definitely where I'm at now. I'm like still really enjoying it. And I'm like, you know, we had summer game fest and I had to put it down for eight days cause I was working nonstop. And then I picked it right back up. I'm like, Oh, I'm right back into this thing. So it's still a really good game. It's just now there are, three or four other games I want to be playing. So, yeah, yeah. I'm working through Final Fantasy 16 right now. So I'm playing a little uh, bit of that, too. Uh, that's a whole thing currently. So I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying it. That. That's pretty fun, I, I think. So, yeah, it, it's 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 doing its thing. I'm I'm completely fine with it. I'm I'm enjoying what I've played of it. I, I'm not a Final Fantasy guy. So uh, okay. I think they probably did succeed at what they were going for in terms of trying to win over someone like me. It's definitely, I guess, controversial to a degree in the Final Fantasy community. But I as someone who's played them for a long time, I, I am getting a kick out of it. I, I'm enjoying it. So. Yes. It is, yeah. It this, it's like, you know, they're not committed to this. They never commit to anything. So they'll try this for a little bit and I bet they'll change things up again in the next couple of years. Yeah. I just, I see each one as kind of its own thing. So who knows? 17 could be different. They could go further down this path. Hard to say. We'll, we'll find out in six to seven years. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I, I actually had a, a, some some topics written down here. Give us probably a nice little snapshot in time even to look back on as we attempt to discuss things that will probably be one might even be, I mean, decided today even. Um, yep. But others could be, you know, a year, two years from now or something. But I, I figure we'll just we'll just start with the bit. I mean, that's FTC with Microsoft, Sony wrapped up in this. That Sega and Square Enix get thrown into the mix along with almost every other developer and publisher in the industry. Uh, but I mean, this it seems like as of today, we're recording this July fifth in the afternoon. I mean, people are just kind of on the edge of their seat waiting to see what the decision is. As the judge, I believe, mentioned that by the fourteenth, they would have. The, the decision, like all the information, how they came to that conclusion, reasoning unsealed and people can kind of read through it. But the decision would most likely be slid to Microsoft and the FTC potentially this week. And some are wondering if it could be today. And then you might see a press release go out from either of them agreeing or disagreeing, or they might just full on announce it. Who knows? So I. Yeah, you, you got to wonder what kind of person the judge is. Are they, uh, is she the uh, one, the kind that's like, uh, 
July 4th weekend, yeah, of course I'm going to be off, but I'll I'll get all this stuff written up in the evenings and then have it ready for the Wednesday when we get back. That seems possible. She seems really put together. So uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we hear about it before the end of the day, although I, my, my money would be on tomorrow mm-hmm. hearing about it. Yeah, I I know we, we kind of focus in on this because obviously we're all into the gaming sphere, but there, I mean, there are a lot of other... Uh, trials and cases that the judge would have to get to as well. But yep, that's absolutely a, might be another reason they were like, you know what? It's 4th of July, but I'm going to get this going. I'm gonna get this done. So yep. Get this uh, out of the way, get it off my plate or, you know, put it to the side until we have yeah. to deal with anything else with it. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I, people are trying to do the Twitter lawyer thing. I honestly have no idea which way this thing goes. Cause it's an injunction. So it's not a, outright decision on it uh and to me it feels like if you sway the judge in any way to where they look at this and go you know they maybe they should get a little more time to put a better case together i mean that green lights i assume the injunction that i i mean microsoft seems like well that might be it for us in activision if we can't make this thing happen yeah it's 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 possible uh i mean i think even the the injunction happens i i think that is the strategy of the FTC. The FTC knows it's not going to win. It is trying to run out the clock. Uh, or, you know, they, knows. Who knows anything? They they don't really believe in their case. Uh, they could still win. Who knows? But um, they are trying to get to this point where it's like, hey, we are past the July 18th, whatever it was, the date uh, that Microsoft and Activision agreed upon, and Microsoft owes them $3 billion. If Microsoft wants, they can renegotiate that and push that date down, and, and Activision would be right there with them. Um, but that like this is as good an off ramp as any. I mean, three billion dollars is a lot of money to pay, but but it's um, it might it might they also might decide, hey, that sunk cost. We just have to accept it and move on. Yeah, I mean, Activision would be like, hey, we'll put that on the books. We're happy. <laughs> That's, exactly. Yeah, we can make a whole bunch of Call of Duties with three billion dollars. Exactly yep. two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly, and and they're they, you know, Activision is not exactly they don't their their future isn't like clear or anything. But their prospects seem a little bit better off than they were when they first started this deal uh, in terms of like, oh, if we were if we didn't get acquired by Microsoft. Yeah, we we aren't making a lot of games. And Call of Duty is this big, expensive thing that requires all of our attention. Uh, And yes, we're having trouble uh, hiring talent because we're a pretty bad place to work. (laughs) But on, uh, you know, all those things aside, we could see a future where we are still exploiting Call of Duty to, you know, the maximum effect and beginning to introduce some other games. And Diablo 4 is doing pretty good. So maybe Blizzard's back. So I think they're feeling a little bit better if this deal doesn't go through. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of information has come out from this so much so yes. that it would probably require multiple podcasts to go over everything. Yes, I pulled I pulled a couple. One obviously being Microsoft looking very closely at Sega and Square Enix, at least to the point where they almost separated those from the field because they, I mean, they made a list of, I mean, just about everyone. If, yeah, if, Iowa if they Interactive had, and Bungie and everybody. If they hadn't approached Nintendo back in the day, they might have had Nintendo on the list even. Who knows? But yep. it's uh, it was interesting that Sega and Square Enix seemed to, uh, especially Sega, seemed to get the, the personal write-up from Phil Spencer to uh, Amy Hood and Satya Nadella. It's like, hey, this this might be it right here. Sega might be the, the publisher. But I assume then... Either it it didn't work out, and maybe they maybe they did approach Sega and it just didn't. But uh, Activision Blizzard clearly took front and center when that when that became available, as we're seeing now. But okay, what a world that would be if Microsoft had come in and picked up Sega. I mean, Square Enix would have sent ripples, but Sega, I think that would have been interesting, especially on their mobile front. Yeah, it's it's like hard to pin down exactly what decisions they would have made. Would Sega have been more of a Bethesda? Um... 
I think there was some word that they're like, ah, oh, a lot of these Sega and Atlas games would still be multi-platform. And it's like, yeah, I, I bet most many of them would, but what would they have made exclusive? And then, yeah, that Sega does have so a pretty substantial uh, presence on mobile and things like that. But uh, I, I, Sega would have been a really weird one. I would have uh, been curious to see like what their thinking is. I think Sega is much better off uh, independent right now. Um, they're, they're, they are beginning to figure things out. A lot of that does come from them finally realizing they could put a persona game out on a system that's not just called playstation yeah. uh that took a while they figured it out though and it's like man yeah now that we're now that we're doing this we're hitting our stride and i think i think they are they're not they're not capcom uh and they're a long way from being capcom uh but they're not it's not impossible that they figure out a string of hits that look pretty similar to that hey sonic's on the upswing too look at that going from yes. forces to frontiers so no. that's a that's a big upswing yeah like they, they at least seem to have a vision for what modern sega looks like and they have a lot of stuff that's that's not necessarily like i guess at this point it is but we're old so like legacy sega we think of as console gaming stuff like that but their pc stuff is really successful yeah. and, and has been, been for a very long time yes well and yakuza so. is like their their marquee franchise now so, uh, you know uh, if, on the sega side and then atlas obviously is persona um but yeah I, so trying to figure out how you integrate all of this stuff into a Microsoft gaming. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's a challenge that Microsoft would have welcomed. I think it would have been uh, uh, pretty exciting for them, but I also think it would have been a lot of headaches uh, in, in terms of, you know, maybe this would be better exclusive and people are going to get really mad at us about that. I almost wonder if that would have been an easier acquisition for them than, I mean, like a Square Enix, because they would have been, they would have been buying the game division from Sega Sammy so I almost wonder, even if with uh, the Japanese government regulators there, if that actually just would have been an easier thing to navigate. I I'm not sure how all of that works necessarily, but it seems different than trying to acquire the whole company. I'm just going to buy the development arm and the intellectual properties necessarily. I don't know. Yeah, you could you could see um, regulators being like, oh, if, you, if Sega, Sammy doesn't want that stuff anymore, then they should. Yeah, you could see it being easier. Uh, obviously, like you said, well, we don't know Japan regulation. I know for a long time, uh, Japan was very hesitant about selling to foreign entities. That has definitely light, like loosened up, but I don't think it's loosened up to the point where it's a cakewalk now. It's yeah. not like you could do this overnight. There still would have been a lot of challenges. But uh, the, the Activision uh, uh, Microsoft deal was like created in a lab to make the FTC like go insane <laughs> yeah. about it. $69 billion, these two massive names. It involves Microsoft, a, a company that has a history from the late nineties of, 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 you know, of, of antitrust issues. And so it's like, ah, that was always going to set off their alarm bells. Even though, as we know, their case is difficult to argue. It's not difficult to explain to someone, Microsoft, $2 trillion company spending $70 billion to take control over the biggest game in the world. Like that's like, that's so easy to explain yeah. why people are up in arms about it. Yep. Did you, you saw the budgets that were accidentally revealed when they used permanent it. marker. Watch up those Sharpies. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So horizon forbidden West and last was part two. I was going to cost, cost roughly $220 million each according to Sony. And apparently that's not including marketing. So yep, definitely not. Yep. <laughs> uh, we've heard marketing can, sometimes eclipse development budgets so it's it's hard to say what the final totals were but even if you said 50 percent in the marketing that's i mean 300 million dollars per is uh that's quite it's a, a lot of money I and mean, it's in line with what i've heard that these games at, for as successful as they are as big as they are they do struggle to sort of make all of their money back once you include marketing it's not like super easy obviously they do 
and and but it's not um some windfall. I mean, they they make more. Like Sony probably makes more in profit from Call of Duty like microtransactions mm-hmm. than it does from those. And it's that. like, yeah, but obviously those those big games are loss leaders for them even though they're not making a loss at all they are still making money they're just not making huge profits they are in that 10 percent profit range likely those games are are really there to push consoles and get people invested in the ecosystem out or like just get their foot in the door uh to to give them more money down the road yep but you know and a 10 percent profit margin isn't like some terrible thing that's pretty typical for business 300 million dollars though on a that's that's tough for budgets, though, going forward. I, I, I You kind of start to see why the the green light doesn't get thrown up constantly like it did back in the, the PS1 and PS2 days. Yep. Now there's mm-hmm. a lot of scrutiny. There's a lot of, ooh, will this work out? I don't, that That is very concerning because that we're talking about a $300 million budget from uh, 20. I mean, it, those games took a while to make, too. So this, yep. I mean, the Five green years light, at least green light yeah. probably given for some, I mean, last was part two started to be worked on after part one came out. So probably 2014 it started. Wow. That's, and then inflation, everything involved. Now you're looking at, I, I've theorized that Grand Theft Auto six could end up costing about a billion dollars all said and done with that GTA yep. online two and the marketing uh, that. To me, that that's concerning for the creativity of video games in the future. If there if there's a lot of concern around the risk factor, where one bad game could sink your entire studio or even an entire publisher, it could be yep. like that. So that's that's my concern. I almost wonder if there is any strategy in the future to mitigate budgets or the process. I know AI's been talked about a lot to just to aid in development, but. I, I don't really know how, how they work this out because expectations to go up. So you assume budgets would too. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, I talked to Phil Spencer on the couch and he, he brought this point up about like, you know, people always talk about tools that are going to make development easier and faster. And it's like, yeah, that does happen. And then what do we, we, what do we do? We turn right around and be like, okay, now we have all this open resources, all these people that were working on the game before their time is freed up. Let's have them work on all these other things. We don't, we only ever dreamed of doing. Yeah. And now we can, push stuff forward because i mean that is the thing with with game development that really sets it apart it is um it is both an artistic medium and a technological medium and we we as gamers have you know have grown up with always thinking about what is going to be possible next time like next time they're going to be able to do this thing they could never do before and we're you know we are kind of past a lot of that with it when it comes to uh even movies but like music and 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 writing uh other mediums painting these are things where it's like those mediums have been pretty solidified for a very long time and so it's like it's easy to set out budgets you know th- that doesn't mean movies don't get more expensive they obviously do but it's easy to understand kind of where the budgets are going in games it's you have to keep in mind that sony and rockstar are going to be out there putting out the biggest games the most expensive games and they are going to sell so much more than yours, and yet you're going to be compared to those. To those, I mean, yeah. Final Fantasy 16 is a is the example there. It's it is a game that's trying to be like God of War, trying to be like a lot of things. Like a Final Fantasy, you always take a ton of uh, inspiration from a lot of stuff. But the God of War inspiration is obvious when you're playing it, and it's and it's close. It's mm. not quite God of War. It's not. I mean, I think maybe the the visuals in some segments can look pretty good, but there's obvious segments where they saved a lot of money. The you go to the town. And the animation looks stiff yeah. and the characters look kind of old, old fashioned and I'm, I'm fine with it. That doesn't bother me, but you can tell that they were picking and choosing where to spend their limited budget compared to what feels like the unlimited budget for Sony. And th- this is Square Enix, like, and this is Final Fantasy and their whole thing is spending a ton of money on their, on, on their stuff. So 
if if those games are already kind of struggling to keep up, like where does that put everyone else? And I think the good news for gaming is um, stuff comes up from the bottom all the time. Uh, indies are always replacing genres that that are kind of going by the wayside as developer as pub- big publishers are like that doesn't financially make sense for us anymore. Well, now all these small development teams are flooding that space. You see that with like immersive sims. Uh, so. I think that gaming's not like in trouble, but it definitely is worrisome for these bigger companies as they, because like, as you said, one game goes bad, that can take down a whole company. And that sort of volatility seems tragic for maybe the future of, of anyone that wants a stable position at one of these companies. Yeah, that's that's my only concern is going forward, you get cold feet over the idea of innovating too much with certain games yep. or genres. And I guess that's what we look to the indie titles for. for them to bring yeah, it up. yeah, that's exactly right. I think yep. we don't, I, I do not really look to Sony like to, to innovate. They are making these big bets and they gotta have a sure thing. So yeah, that's where I, I look to early access on Steam for that stuff. You know what's interesting? I, I didn't think I'd ever get to this point, but as I've gotten older and older and played more games, I am getting to a position now where I just feel like visuals are good enough for me. Yeah. I mean, I played the Callisto Protocol and I looked at that and said, wow, this looks incredible. I don't really know if I if I need the beads of sweat to keep getting more defined at the at this point like i if the budgets stayed where they are and we had these kind of visuals for the next 10 years i don't really think i would see that as a negative especially if they then put more money into or the the money that would normally be accrued into those visuals into world building or mechanics in the game and i i feel like that is a direction i prefer even at this point yeah and i i mean i think we've been kind of in that that zone for a little bit i think since about 2016 this is the the game I always point to is I don't know if I need games to look much better and perform much better than Doom 2016. Oh, yeah. Like, they, I think like at 1080, that game can run at like 100 frames <laughs> per second on just about anything, except for the Switch, where it runs almost 60 frames per second sometimes, or you could admit maybe it's 30 frames per second. But either way, it's like it, that game can run on a Switch, and then you get on anything with any power, and it just runs runs great, and it looks great everywhere. Uh, and that was um, on PC. That was running on like you know those RX 480s at 1080, 60, yeah. way back at 2016. And games aren't looking much better than that. And it's like, okay, so the, the, the really the uh, the bottleneck isn't hardware. It's not really technology. It's clearly just time and money. Uh, these com- And then that's where we're, the, the conversation that we're really having here is these companies are scoping out these things. And when it comes to the visuals, it's like we are going to be able to get to a certain level. But really, the you know, it's just the time. How much time and money are we going to spend on these things? And I think a lot of them are like, uh, we have to pull back somewhere. Uh, but I think that that leads them to be like, if we can have unlimited time and money, we would do all these things visual. And I think that distracts from the innovation to, to speak to your point. We also had Microsoft seemingly talk about a PS5 Slim and even a PS5 Pro. Uh, they mentioned that even prices they get well the slim they said was 400 and they they are anticipating that to come out even this year apparently and, yeah. and those those rumors have been i know tom henderson has i think reported on the ps5 slim maybe three or four times now which is yep. updates and i i hey to his, his credit he talked about the q light or project q it sounded like one of the stupidest things ever to a lot of people and then sony hey, that's showed because up because it is and sony showed up yep. and was like here it is and it's like wow it really is a tablet 
between a dual sense. Okay. So, <laughs> yep. Uh, and it only works locally. Okay. All right. I am, sure. I am completely leaning towards the fact that that detachable disk drive thing is is a thing only because it it's actually less dumb than what I heard from with the <laughs> with the Q Lite. So, and it, it at least makes financial sense for Sony where they just have one model, the PS5, and you buy the disk drive or not, depending on if you care to have it. Yeah. That's the one part for me, and I guess we don't know where's Microsoft drawing the pricing information from. Yeah. Are they just making that up? Um, is that, or is that to like set up PlayStation to make them look bad? It's <laughs> like, hey, this is a disc, discless thing. It's this should be the same price as the other discless one. But they, the, so they're going to replace the disc version of the PlayStation Five with one that costs less. This is a company that raised one hundred and fifty dollars less because you know it's got a fifty dollars price increase everywhere in the world except the United States, where it almost always comes as a bundle. So it's like four hundred dollars for that disc for the new discless slim PlayStation Five seems a little strange, mm. I, but at the same time, you know they might be just fine with that because they are shifting us all to the digital, yeah. you know, the all digital future. So they might be like, that's a sacrifice we're willing. I'm trying to, make. to picture it because they would they would have to make it so that it is as easy as possible to add the disk drive. So I don't know if there's a slot that you slide it into and it just clicks into place right. or if you plug it into the back or it slots on the side. Or like it, snaps on or something. It's or it's like a Game Boy player or something yeah. like you said it on that. Yeah. It's possible they could all they could all sell it as a bundle and it's still 500 where it's the disk drive and the digital PS5 but yep. separate. It's actually 130 or some weird thing so that it it looks like a that's better deal. That's a good know? point. <laughs> um, that's that's yeah. kind of how I was picturing it in my mind. Um, but I could see that. It's, it's just, it's a uh... It's going to be strange. I, I, I don't know about like how much they want to like how many of those disk drives are they actually going to put in stores? Yeah. That's the big thing for me. I, I think if they're, they're doing this, they're like, yeah, we'll sell you a disk drive. You can order it from our It feels like a website. PlayStation direct thing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. We, but the PS5 pro is uh, Microsoft mentioned that too. I don't know if they're just pulling what they can from the news and rumor mill and just it throw it in like there. It seems like they're reading Tom Henderson. That's what it seems <laughs> it, like. It kind of does because that was also brought up as holiday 2024 from Tom Henderson. And then here it is Microsoft throwing it into official court filings. If, <laughs> if they show up with a PS five pro and Microsoft, at least Phil Spencer has mentioned that they don't really have any plans right now for a new Xbox or mid gen refresh. That to me is going to feel a little strange as Microsoft has tried to control kind of the power narrative on their end. And then Sony would probably have something more powerful with a PS five pro. I, it just seems odd that Microsoft wouldn't move to respond in any anyway, even a year later or something. They, I mean, they have to be working on something. They have hardware teams. Mm -hmm. They're not just sitting around, right? So they probably have contingency plans. I bet they haven't settled on anything. I mean, and my take on, on uh, Henderson's story about the PS5 Pro has always been, of course, they're working on it. I don't know if they've 100% decided they're going to put it out right. like I, I know the thing exists of course it exists they, they have hardware teams like sony is a hardware company this is what they do uh the, the, the market realities are very different than the last time we got the pro models for, for the home consoles uh you know and, and i think that that doesn't mean it can't work but saying to people this is the system that gets you 4k was very simple last time what are they going to say this time this is the one that's really going to do ray tracing uh, people are over that. I, I, I don't know, but that's not going to stop Sony necessarily. Uh, I just, they're in a world where they're not, they don't have to lower the prices. Um, so, uh, and that's, that was what was the real market reality last time. It's like the prices were going to go down on the PS4. So let's put out a PS4 Pro at the same price that the original launched at. So we can keep that average sales price pretty high. 
Uh, but still, Sony could come out, put this thing out at $600 maybe, and that's what they're thinking. Yeah, what $600, go back to the PS3 days. I like it. I yep, like there it. we are. I'll get a second job. So we'll hey, we'll see that FTC that decision coming up. That's gonna whew, that's gonna it's gonna set the internet off off one way or the other. Doesn't matter. So, yep, no matter what. I do want to pause for a second, remind everyone of Spawn Point. You can check us out on the Spawncast Network, and you can also check out Jeff Grubb over on as uh, Jeff Grubb. He's got the games mess going on. I know you have your own uh, Patreon where you guys play Jeopardy. I was on there at one point. It was a lot of fun. Yes, you were. It was a lot of fun. We would just put out a new episode, and we got another one that's uh, just for Patreon subscribers. So. If you want to watch one early, we got one in the hopper where's as well. The, where's that? Where's that located? Just go to patreon.com slash game mess, and that'll get you there. And we, we really appreciate all the support Check there. Check them out there. I'll link down below. And then, obviously, you can go to the uh, spawncastnetwork.com and get involved there as well. I want I do want to move over to the Nintendo Direct stuff that happened. A bit of a temperature check for 2023. Yeah. Uh, now that we, we, we were going into that time period, it's like the e3 not e3 time period in june and it was kind of like eh, maybe we won't see too much more from nintendo as they move to the next gen and all of a sudden they just drop a bunch of games some exciting ones too i mean like i'm, I'm looking forward to their their second half now quite a bit me too pikmin 4 is coming up i'll be honest i'm not a huge pikmin guy but uh i, I know people are a hey, the, the pikmin fans been waiting every direct for the last six years people are asking if pikmin's going to be there and it was and yeah it was weird to like weeks. have miyamoto be like pikmin 4 is real and we're working on it before like what however long ago that was be like, are you really yeah <laughs> are you really doing i i am a pikmin guy uh a pikmin 3 deluxe i think is the series oh. actually figuring everything out that's okay. where they really came together but i like all of them uh so i'm excited about this i, I played a little bit of the demo uh, but I'm like, ah, that month wait between the demo and the actually playing it and this stuff carries over. I'm like, I'll probably play more of it as it's about to come out and then I'll just carry it into that. Um, but yeah, yeah, the second half for Nintendo looking, I mean, I, you know, I think again, for us old heads, it's very strong because mm. it's the stuff that I would, I've been looking for Super Mario RPG. Oh my God. Like, I can't believe we're like, I used to do a story on games meet when I worked there. Every time they would announce more games coming to Super Nintendo on Nintendo Switch Online, be like, they did not put Super Mario RPG on there yet again. And it's like, that was my whole thing. So I'm like, well, this is an explanation for that. And fantastic. I think that looks really good. And then Super Mario Brothers Wonder is m way more than I was even like hoping. It was like, or at least it's right in line with like my biggest hopes of uh, a 2D Mario game that's doing something with its visuals. It's kind of all I needed. And it seems like they're really going for it on, on that front. And I'm, I'm very happy with it. At the same time, it does feel like the wind down, wind down of a, of a Nintendo console, right? Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying there, especially heading into 2024 uh, for that. But I, hey, what a, that's a good way to to set up their holiday and and start to move Definitely. into that that time period. Uh, a new 2D Mario game is going to do really really well, especially with the, the Mario movie that it, I mean exploded at the box office with like 1.3 billion dollars or something right now and. Everyone's got Mario on the on the on the mind, and if you look at that direct, very Mario themed, a lot of Mario stuff hitting there. So, yep, I, I think I think Mario Wonder looks awesome. It is a really cool looking two D Mario game. I, I think it looks significantly more interesting than the new Super Mario Bros. Kind of looking a little bland there with that one. So, Wonder is uh, is definitely throws a wrench into it. But that Super Mario RPG, especially for older people, that I mean that for a lot of them, I'm sure that got a reaction. And at first, when it was happening, I did kind of, kind of think that they were just going to say, "Oh, it's coming to NSO. Here you go," because they did that with, I think they did it with Earthbound at a direct, 
couple of years ago or something. Yeah, like, yeah, Earthbound Zero and all that stuff or whatever. Yeah, yeah. but the, I mean the the flash to the the new visuals that was it was fun. That's I, I'm looking forward to it. Yes, it's technically a very simplistic turn based RPG nowadays, but it's still it's got that. It's got that old nostalgia charm to it. So it really, I mean, and they, uh, I think they're kind of nailing it because uh, they've upgraded the, up, they updated the visuals and they don't look exactly like the Silicon graphics computer renderings that you would get in the magazine ads. Mm. And I would, I would have been fine with that, but they look a little bit funky by t- today's standards. <laughs> so it's, it is the, um, s- s- sort of, uh, uh, modernized version take on those. And I'm fine with that. But then they kept like all the animations, like Mario, like raised in his hands, like a little baby when it gets the star, all that stuff is from the original. Uh, I, I think the, like the camera angle and the battles look, it looks exactly right. Uh, and you know, they have the, um, uh, the, the composer, the street fighter two composer that did the music for the original super Mario RPG. She's back and overseeing the music for this. And it's like, okay, they, they really are nailing all the stuff that I want them to go for. And so it's like, and I'm like, okay, I'll just show this to this new generation of people that missed out on like, this is just what, when like Nintendo forced Square Enix to make a su- square soft at the time to make a super fun RPG with Mario in it. And it really, really worked. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna be a lot of fun. And Gino's back. So it'll be, it'll be yes. Cool. Gino's one of my faves. It'll be cool to, to see that. I, Oh, I did want to bring up, I, I know you mentioned you weren't a big Final Fantasy person, uh, but Star Ocean Second Story, if you've not Looked played really good. that, uh, I think this is going to be a really cool one to check out this this holiday. It might fly under the radar a bit for some people, but maybe the visual style will pull them in. This is technically, most people consider, the best Star Ocean across the franchise. Right. So I, I think it's it's one that's definitely worth keeping an eye on, and that that's that. And that run from like the first week of October onward through November is looks ridiculous right now. There's just a lot of stuff hidden. Yep. It's uh, it's uh, somehow Nintendo has consistently done this. There's definitely been dry spells, but mostly we come out of, out of a direct and it's like, here is a, about a game a month yeah. and it's a man. And, and they're not, all Mario games. Some of them are like a WarioWare uh, or something. Uh, yeah. WarioWare, and I'm like, but I, for me, again, I'm a huge WarioWare fan. Love WarioWare games. Uh, I think I the last one I was fine with, but it was definitely light in terms of content, and I, w- I would not have recommended it to most people, even though I think it hit for me. Uh, this move at one, I'm like, this looks great. I really like the Wii uh, smooth moves. Mm. Uh, that's a really fun party game. So I'm I'm there for it. It's like th- if this is what they're doing with like these off months, that's fine with me. Yeah, I that's that's kind of how Nintendo's trying to do it. Like ten releases a year almost. So maybe there's like a yeah. forty day run where nothing from them hits, but then they hit you with a couple because I know they got Super Mario Wonder and then they have Mario RPG like within I think twenty five days of each other or something. It's it's right. It's so pretty interesting. Uh, Wonder is October, yeah, right? And then Super Mario RPG is in November. Nope. <laughs> that's that's it is funny the, uh yes that's right so it's funny the super mario rpg will come out and it'll be about the cheapest it's ever been because <laughs> when that game came out for super yeah. nintendo uh well, what was the chip they used it was at the sa1 or the sa1 chip and it was i think it was mostly for just decompression that's usually what they use these chips for because they yeah. were you, i mean if you look at the back then when it came out on the super nintendo you mentioned some of the visuals and the graphics that was some weird stuff to us back then. we were like this is incredible how can they do this i've never yes. that and, and donkey and kong were, country were the two that i remember vividly that were like yes. that me too. And it's like, that was right when PlayStation and Saturn were coming. And uh, I remember ads for Donkey Kong Country being like, who needs a 32-bit system when we, when you have this on your Super Nintendo? And, you know, how do they do it? The answer was they put uh, basically a whole other a processing unit directly on the cartridge hardware. Yes. Yeah, that was the way it so was that, it. G- 
Yeah, and the, so the game cost like what was like eighty, maybe even a hundred dollars yeah, for Super Mario RPG it, back then. It was then. up there, depending on what the because I think even at times the retailers would kind of play around with the prices. I sure. definitely remember seeing it in stores for like ninety bucks at one point at one of my yes. local rental places that would sell the games too. So it was worth spending four bucks to rent it for the weekend as opposed to ninety to buy it. But yep. I mean, if I could have one of those games I rented a lot of times yep. because of that. Yeah, yes. I remember I would rent it, but I would try to when I take it back, I'd be like, "Can you hold this or hide it in the back?" Because they had like five copies of it at any given time kind of hide in the back or i try to like on the back i'd mark the cartridge just a little bit at one point so i knew it was the one <laughs> and when i go back i'd be like all right hopefully it's not like a race they didn't race my file that's, and, and the people that's fantastic. for the most part people didn't because i'd save on like the third slot or something just to get out of the way uh but i actually beat it that way i rented it i think three times to beat the game three different weekends and i got the same card every time that's really cool that's fan- yeah and that's that, that's very similar to my experience with that game i uh, I think I started over each time I rented it, but I was like so used to playing through it at that point that it was much easier to get through the early parts yep. and then just have like a little bit of a late fee one of the times <laughs> and actually was able to beat it. But uh, yeah, and, and that game is not going to be uh, $90 this time yeah. around. So it's it's uh, pretty and cool it'll to still see still be that. on a cartridge. So there you go. Yeah, still, still, yes, exactly. I, I do. I, I don't want to like make a beef about. It. I don't like calling them cartridges. No, they're cards. We, we call them cards. Okay, okay. Yeah, like because like cartridge for me implies that there's the possibility of uh, it integrating with the hardware uh, in the way okay. that those cartridges did. But okay. it is definitely a semantic, pointless argument. Okay. It's like me getting mad at the uh, Gen Eight, Gen Nine oh, stuff. Gosh. I'm just an old man about that. Uh, do we want to we talk a little bit about what happened in June though with E3 because we just came off that direct and there were a lot of showcases. They were kind of just scattershot all over the month no e3 this year and it looks like they're not at least at this time not going to be in la for the next two years at least that's what they're reporting so it's there's no way yeah i am i do wonder if we've just seen the end of e3 at this point or if they're going to attempt something and move it somewhere else and reinvent it but people now believe that e3 isn't going to come back for 2024 and potentially 2025 and i did look at june and i'm like I don't know. Do I prefer everything to be in one week or do I like it spread out throughout the month? Hmm. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm like, it's a, it's tough. I mean, I think, uh, you know, part of um, building my personal brand was trying to wrangle all these things as E3 mm-hmm. was going away, uh, you know, with the game mess and, and stuff like that. But um, I, I definitely think I have a lot of nostalgia for E3 and I think that that brand has a lot of power still, which is why I'm not convinced it'll never come back. I just, it's not going to come back in the way it was for sure. Um, the ESA is not going to try to do it again. They lost, what was the, the, that IGN story? They lost $4 million or $6 million on the digital version yeah, that they did. Yeah. It's like that. I mean, how do you lose that much money on an, on a digital version of that? But, but whatever uh, they, they did. In fact, that's how incompetent they are. They're not going to try it again. Or if they do, it'll be a, even more of a disaster. Um, so I, you know, coming coming into this new world where it's like we are doing the key three stuff. Keeley is, is running his thing and everyone else is kind of figuring out all these other time slots. Like I was fine having an, a Nintendo Direct at the end of June. That was like, like a nice, pleasant surprise. Uh, so I think I'm mostly OK with it now, uh, especially if Summer Game Fest can kind of maintain its momentum and stay about that same size. I really enjoyed it. And for people who kind of uh, who didn't get a lot of coverage from there on the ground, it is not E3. It is definitely a mutated version of of, of Jeff Keighley's uh, Judges Week thing he used to do before E3. 
And that really works because you're like it's it, you, you're going to get the kinds of games that would have been a judges week, which is not always going to be the biggest games, mm. uh, but it's some big games. And then a lot of other stuff that came out of nowhere that you didn't even know. And it's like Cocoon and Thirsty Suitors. And uh, I was reminded about Remnant 2, you know, and that's coming out in a couple of weeks. But I played that and just absolutely had such a really such a good time with it. I'm like, I'm, all right, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to pop off for when that thing actually comes. And so it was it was useful for my purposes and therefore I'm like, okay, let's kind of keep this going. So I'm fine with where we're at right now, but I do miss E3. Yeah. I, I need to get out there. What are these years coming up? Cause I kind of feel like Jeff is going to just continue to ramp this whole thing up. And maybe in 10 years, we look at it and go, remember when E3 was a thing. Now we have Jeff Keeley presents or something and it's way better. And he seems at least more in tune with how to try to make these things work. But it, it's also probably because he's not, the ESA, who I'm sure has a lot of a lot of pull within it, trying to go in all these different directions and do the how do you do fellow kids thing, <laughs> trying to figure out how to. Yeah, I mean, to the ESA is also in a like, position where um, they are used to being able to ask a lot of for of money from these companies because yeah. like well, they're a lobbying group and uh, they get their dues and they get about fifty percent of the revenue from the dues and they used to get about fifty percent of the revenue from from E3. And like their C the CEO or the you know the, the the chairman of the ESA has like a salary of one point five huh. million dollars. It's a it's a, a these they make a lot of money or they did make a lot of money. So like they were they felt comfortable being in a position to be like we're gonna provide you with an internet port and uh, a, a place on the show floor and you're gonna give us a lot of money. You're gonna give us like seven figures. And I was like, uh, okay. I mean, well, where else can we go? Well, you don't have anywhere else to go. You got to go to E three. <laughs> Uh, that's yeah. where the, that's where business gets done, and Jeff Keeley's in a much more of like a, a competing market and saying I need to provide services to you and I need to make it make sense for you, um, and so I think that is the modern version of what E3 needed to turn into, and it just was not doing it. And I think fundamentally that's what Jeff Keeley was saying when he left a bunch of all those years ago and was like they're not kind of shifting into a, a modern world at all. Right. Yeah. And I I'll be I'll be curious to see if Jeff can too. Uh really pushing forward with this because I, unless E3 goes back to its roots and it's just a trade show and they're at, I don't know, Las Vegas or New York or something. I, I think Las Vegas and New York have been floated and uh, Las Vegas probably more accommodating. New York would probably be more of a hot yep. spot. So if they want to yep. get more people out, go to New York. If you want to put on a better show, go to Las Vegas. Um, yep. Las Vegas would be cheaper. Like you, you know, that huge convention mm -hmm. center there, a million hotels, uh, yeah, I, so I think Las Vegas makes a lot of sense, but I also don't think it makes enough sense for the ESA to actually try to pull no, it off. Not for the kind of money they'd ask. Like, why why pay millions of dollars when you if you're a, a company like Capcom, you just say, hey, we're doing a Capcom Presents, and then you click go live, and everyone shows up. <laughs> and that, that's Even it. if it's crap, they show up. Yeah, yeah. it doesn't matter. They'll, they'll, people people come out. So the days of needing that stage is probably gone. Although I do kind of miss the live presentations. I. Those at least yeah. gave us some entertainment. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, so I went to my first E3 was 2013. Oh, okay. And I remember being in the audience, uh, and, and actually having like, you know, I went with Dan Shu, used to run EGM, and then I worked for him for a bit, and he, uh, had some friends that worked at PlayStation. So they like got us into the, the, pre the, like the secret press section inside this. I think it was, the, it's like the Shrine Auditorium there in LA. Mm -hmm. And it's like this little place with tables and, and power outlets. And they gave us Wi-Fi codes and it was like super comfortable and they had food trucks. And so we were like, 
cozy and happy and, and we're able to get all our work done and write all the stories up. And, and then it's like, and then the show happens and they're like going out after Microsoft and they're cutting, uh, undercutting the price and they're saying, and now we're going to start charging for PlayStation Network and the crowd cheers that. What? It's like, what is happening? <laughs> like the energy in there was like, like unforgettable. So it's like, I miss that too. Yeah. Well, I guess you could still see Microsoft still hold their, their live presentations, but the, the days of all three back to back to back, probably, probably that's over. Yeah, it was a special time, but it's definitely over, I think. I do want to finish up with this with this topic and a bit of a question for it. It has, it has to do with Nintendo's next-gen stuff because they're, it seems like it's picking up a little bit of steam online. There's more rumblings around it. How legitimate is it? That's hard to say because it seems like, hey, I heard this from this person that knows the person at the studio, and they got a dev kit now, and they think it's finalized, which means in their mind that the announcement's imminent. I, I don't know if that's the case. I'm still looking towards personally holiday 2024 just realistically throwing it out there for that oh for a release for a release release, yes (laughs) i agree yeah Yeah, at this point yes so in my mind we're not necessarily imminent some were actually mentioning oh maybe it's getting announced this month Uh, i don't believe so (laughs) that would be bananas i do not think that's happening at all that's just it doesn't even like line up with like their really aggressive switch uh uh, like timeline Where it's like they like when they were doing that and they launched that in March, uh, they didn't really start talking about it until what September or something like yeah. that, and that was like a teaser. Yeah, it was a teaser, and then they had January as their full on presentation. And they're like, "Hey, right. it's out in two months," and everyone just rushed to GameStop to try to pre order this thing. So right, so I, I just I don't know that they they're in no rush. They just had their big direct. They set up this holiday. I don't think that they're worried. I think they could say something is happening. They could, not, you know, give us one of those teasers again at any time throughout the second half of this year. And I think Super Mario Brothers Wonder is still going to sell 20 million copies kind of with like in a blink of an eye. But um, I, I still think that they're going to take their time, M- mostly because this transition is going to be difficult yeah. for them, not because they don't have a ton of momentum. It's just that they are trying to maintain as much of their momentum as possible. And they've never really figured that out before. Yeah, got to get got to get it right, especially with the user base you've built with the switch. But this did bring me my, my question about this whole topic. There was talk about again, this is kind of like the rumor mill stuff, but it, it made me think about it that they were using pro controllers with these dev kits because they're concerned that whatever they're working on with the controller would get out there. And it made me, wonder with nintendo because you know like they like to they like to nintendo like try to innovate sometimes more than they should what what's the big what's the big thing they push for with next gen what would really make the make you go okay this this is definitely different i don't necessarily know if it's gonna be good (laughs) but it's different i'm interested i've been trying to wrap my head around what they could actually present with this yep me me too it's 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 uh it's really tough because um, we uh, they like doing this because it is uh, the features that get talked about in USA Today and Newsweek and and it's um, and it's like forced obsolescence where you think well I need to have that new thing my old switch doesn't have that and the new I mean this happened with me with the new 3ds I remember um, having my 3ds and then the new 3ds gets announced and I was like that second that right hand nub mm. the analog nub I need that. I, games are going to use that. I don't even know if I thought games were going to use it. I'm just like, some games will use it, and I'm going to need it. And th- that's why I'm going to buy this thing. And it's like, well, <laughs> I don't think I ever used it in a game. Maybe I used it once. Uh, and it's like, I, but 
those kinds of features that act as bullet points on stuff. And we, we, we saw that with the PlayStation five and, and still like, you know, not that I want to throw their haptic stuff under the bus. It, it's a lot of stuff does use it, but it's not as big, uh, as big of right. a deal as they made it out to be at the beginning of the generation. Nintendo knows that works. Um, I think they also know that if they go too hard on it, it can get in the way. And so you look at the switch and it's like, what were it's feel like the, the infrared camera, it's like that is something that if you abandon it, it is not a problem at all. It's it's out of the way. Or if you only use it in everybody one two switch and one two switch and that's it, it's still it's not going to cause a problem. So I imagine that they are probably going to do something along those lines. I I can't remember over the weekend. I was only half paying attention. I was busy. I was you know doing stuff with the family. Were there rumors about scroll wheels next so, to the anal or the uh, the triggers? Is that something? Is that real? I believe I've I did some. I looked into this a bit more, and I didn't really talk about it much because I believe it's just a a four chan. It's it's from four chan, but I believe it's just a four chan rumor. That's we'll, right. We'll That's why I was like I put it to the side kind of thing because I. Uh, I think it's 2014 or 2015, there was a patent that was made public where Nintendo was playing around with that. And because of the rumors popping up around next gen and that this all of a sudden shows up, I thought, you know, maybe they were going back, saw this article or something. It was like, that sounds let's likely. make a whole story. Let, let's give this thing a backstory and be like, I work at TSA and we did a bag check and they had the, the, the NX2 in there and it had scroll wheels. <laughs> You can, you can, I can easily see that being uh, what what happened. But also, something along those lines wouldn't surprise me yeah. either. Uh, like the, where it's like, hey, we have all this stuff, and it's going to be the new. Like, the, look at all these ways you can interact with your games you couldn't do before. It's like, oh, okay. Um, I, I would. Almost, I mean, listen, I'm a, I'm a, I'm Steam Deck pilled. Mm. I, I love okay. my Steam Deck. Yeah. So for me, a, a touchpad, uh, kind of uh, like similar to what the Steam Deck has. I, I like that just because. Um, of what the community does with it on Steam Deck. It makes emulating games so easy. You can uh, put a ton of buttons on there, a bunch of context-sensitive stuff, and I really like that. Um, I think that I would I would be fine with that, Some, something along those lines on, on the uh, Switch 2. But also, you know, they have the touchscreen already, so would that be necessary? Hmm. I don't know. I, it just, I, I think it would does work it, for me. Does though. it concern you that in 2019, Shigeru Miyamoto said that he would like to reinvent the controller again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Miyamoto always concerns me because <laughs> uh, you know every once in a while he just like gets the bug up his butt where he's like, I gotta blow everything up and do everything different. It's like, no, you don't. Please stop. Like, I get it. Like, you really are very good at and you innovating, and you really do know what people want before they want in a lot of cases. But a lot of times that stuff is it you know burns twice as bright for half as long, like the Wii. Yeah. Uh, and and it's like that's yeah. This it was it was really big flame, but. We all went back to our default controllers for a reason after that, for the most part. Uh, and then the people that, that didn't go back to that, they went to their touchscreen phones mm. to play games, and they're much happier with that. Are you really going to come up with something that's more innovative and, and easier to use than that? I don't think so. Um, Nintendo making a system that is very much about delivering the games in a very efficient way was their was their greatest innovation. That was the Switch, and I, I really hope that they just kind of stick with that Hold for on the top most part. That's all. Don't get yep. crazy with it. Yep. I, I, I've played around with the idea of them attempting foldable screen technology. Uh, I've thought about how they would reduce and lower the barrier that is the controller for people to get into games. Because if you hand somebody a controller, they look yep. at you like you're crazy and they don't understand how 3D space works with your character and the camera. And I've just been thinking of ways Nintendo would try to work that out. It's tough. So It, it is, but I think... Um... The world has moved closer to the controller than has moved further away from it. And I think that's uh, 
thanks to stuff like Fortnite. Yeah. Uh, in terms of moving people around in a 3D space, um, you know, Super Mario or 3D Mario games used to get crushed by 2D Mario games. And now we haven't had a new 2D Mario game this generation, but I don't expect Wonder to be like 40 million compared to the almost what is around 25, 30 million for uh, Super Mario Odyssey. Mm. Uh, Odyssey, you know, sold a ton because I think people are like, no, I grew up playing 3D games now in a way that you're, the generations before me did not quite or at least not as complicated as the games I played. I played Fortnite and Minecraft since I was literally four years old. None of this is, is, is tough to me. So I think um, kind of like accepting that the, the universe has sort of adopted the controller as a natural thing is a much safer place for Nintendo to be rather than thinking about some older people that are actually still frightened about the controllers, which definitely is still true. I have visions of them doing something weird, like putting a screen on the controller. The, the fact yeah. that we saw that chart for Call of Duty and it said, yeah, more than half of the people that play Call of Duty use a touchscreen for Call of Duty Mobile. <laughs> like, that's what they're playing with. It's yep. like, ooh, don't show Nintendo that chart. <laughs> we, I still like my yep. buttons and joysticks on the controller. Don't don't mess with that. Yes, uh, but definitely. I, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful we hear about this next-gen system from Nintendo later this year or early next year. I, I, I'm ready for the next thing. And also, I'm just I'm curious to see what Nintendo comes up with. But uh, that was, uh, that was, that was our, our spawn point today. Jeff, thanks for, thanks for joining me. I want to let the good people just know, just a quick shout-out, where they, where they could find you and all this. Yeah, uh, the aforementioned patreon.com slash game mess. Or if you just go to game mess.net, that'll take you to our Discord. We've got a great community over there where everyone hangs out. It's always popping off. There's always a million people hanging out over there. And then I do a bunch of stuff on giantbomb.com. That's my day job. And uh, uh, we're doing uh, we're doing a fun Four Swords adventure playthrough. It's been a ton. Of, well, it's mostly been a headache because that game is frustrating with uh, friends that are always competing at the same time as trying to help each other. Uh, but that's fun for you, the viewer. And uh, we also uh, we're doing a, we do a show called Blight Club, and it's my turn to play a very bad game. And they've picked out a bad game, and they sent me a costume, and I haven't been able to look at it yet because I don't know what I'm playing yet. But I think next Thursday we're gonna be starting that new season, and I'm gonna find out what. It's apparently it's a GameCube game. That's all oh. I know. Do you have any? What's the worst GameCube game you can think of? Maybe Evolution Skateboarding. That game's kind of bad. There's, there's, there's a lot. There's Ooh. some bad games from that generation. Absolutely. <laughs> yes, there are. Yes, there. Are. We, uh, we had Mike play uh, RoboCop for the original Xbox, Ooh. and that was real Ooh. tough stuff. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun thing we're doing over there. So you can tune in for that. That's all over on GiantBomb.com. Right. Thanks everyone for joining us. Check out SpawncastNetwork.com. Make sure you check out Jeff Grubb, of course, over on his Games Mess and everything. 